It is so great to see so many of you here. It's like they're going to need to open the balcony up soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. So you may not know me. My name is Tim Jacobs. I am the, what they call a district superintendent, which is a fancy title of, basically, it's really hard to explain what it is that I do. But I work with uh, churches like yours, so you're a part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, and some of you know that, maybe some of you don't. It's a denomination, and, and uh, we have a certain region that I'm in, responsible for, and so uh, I just absolutely love the opportunity to be with as many of our churches as possible. was honored to be able to have Pastor Scott ask me to come in today. If you have a Bible, turn it to 1 John, way in the back, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. And as you're turning there, I want to show you this purse. Now, um, if you look at this purse, if you know anything about purses, you, you can tell by the pattern that this isn't just any purse that you can get at Target. This is a Burberry, I think that's how you say it, Burberry. This is a Burberry purse. And ladies, you may be familiar with this. Look at this thing. I mean, it's got... It's got the little medallion, the little heart medallion on it. It's got this little thing here, nice little strap. And I'm going to tell you, I bought this purse for my wife, and these things are not cheap. In fact, in fact, this, this style of purse, got the classic Burberry plaid, it retails for like $1,500. I'm not kidding, all right? So, it's a, so some of you are going, man, this guy is pretty impressive. I mean, he bought, how much did he have to save up? Or how long did he have to save up to buy it? He must really love his wife because he bought her this beautiful purse. And you know, you would be right. By the way, my wife is right over there. Her name's Judy. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, so, so, and you would think, wow, he must really love his wife. And you would be right about that. But there's only one problem. It is true, I did buy this purse for her, but I didn't pay 1500 bucks. I paid $30 at a flea market outside of Osan Air Force Base in Korea for this thing. <laughs> it is a fake. It is a total phony purse. It is not real. It has nothing to do with Burberry. In fact, the minute I gave it to her, she looked at it and went, this is a fake. It feels fake. It doesn't look, there's no quality to it. I don't want to even, like, I'm going to touch it. It's going to, all the plaid's going to rub off. I mean, she can even, like, this is mismatched here. It says London here and Italy here. I mean, (laughs) what are we doing? It's a phony. It's a fraud. There's no reason for this purse at all. Now listen, the reason why that's so important is because in the book of 1 John, one of the most important things to the writer of 1 John, which is John, is we've got to know how to spot a phony Jesus. We've got to get Jesus right, the person of Jesus, because if we get him wrong, we lose everything. We have nothing. We don't know who God is. We don't know 
who we are. We don't understand how God wants to relate to us or how we are to relate to him. So it is of utmost importance that we might see someone who looks like the real Jesus, who sounds like the real Jesus, who seems like the real Jesus, but in fact, he's not. And so as we read the first four verses of 1 John today, know that the concern that John has is that the people that he is discipling in the churches that he has established over a period of time have gotten Jesus wrong. And the results are disastrous. And so, we've got to know how to get him right. And so, the message today is going to be very simple, but at the same time of extreme and utmost importance. And so look at our passage today. This is what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things. Why? So that our joy may be complete. Now, it's, it's interesting, and you'll see this throughout 1 John. It's kind of clunky, these first four verses. It's kind of clunky. It's like there's a lot of, like, kind of not rambling per se, but a lot of words repeated. And we'll talk about why in a moment. But look at this last line. We're writing these things so that your joy, our joy, may be complete. What brings, what is the kind of joy that he's talking about? It's the kind of joy that comes from the idea of having fellowship, the kind of fellowship that comes from having something in common. You know, it's like if these musicians back here, especially this guy over here, this, when I, when I um, talked to him last time, I, I noted his guitar because this is a, and I don't want to get out of like walk way over there and, and confuse all the camera people um, for the live stream, which if you're watching live stream, we're so glad that you're here too and, and glad you're a part of this. But that's a Fender American Stratocaster guitar and there's nothing like the sound of a, an American made Fender guitar, man. It's just awesome. It's amazing. Or the sound of a Harley Davidson, right? If you ride a Harley Davidson, you know the sound. You can tell that between the difference between that and like a Suzuki or something else, like, right? And you're like, that's the real deal. That's, and there's something about the bond that forms between people who know the real deal. And this is what John is saying. Our fellowship and our joy is complete when we know the real deal, not the phony, not the imitation. And that's what we're, that's why we're writing this whole book so you can not only believe, but then live a life that's going to be authentic and real and effective and powerful in all that you do. But the problem is, and I was thinking about this, why is it that it's so easy to get Jesus wrong? Why is it that there's so many imitations of Jesus? And I think the reason is, is because we're trying, people throughout history have tried to make him more manageable, more believable, 
more realistic, more of what you would expect from real life. You know, like when you start saying some of the outlandish things about Jesus, it's like, ah, I don't know. I don't, I can't accept that. Let's, let's make Jesus a little more palatable to our sensibilities. But the problem is this. The problem is that, and this is the big idea for the sermon today, there's no one like Jesus. And we have to understand that. It's what makes Christianity unique. It's not that Christianity is different from other faiths because of ethics or morals. In in many ways, it's very similar because it's not that hard to go all over the world and go, you probably shouldn't steal from people. You probably shouldn't murder people. You probably shouldn't lie to people. Like most people kind of know that. And most religions or ethical systems kind of have those things in common. But Jesus stands unique because there's no one like him. There's no other historical figure or, or, or popular person or philosopher or sage or whoever is just there's like it's not he's not among them he stands fully and totally apart you can't he doesn't even resemble but the problem is when we begin to put him in a box and begin to say well he's and we get the imitation jesus you know what happens there, we can't really say there's no one like him anymore well there's a lot of people like him well he's a good guy he's a good teacher he's nice he, he shows us like how we could be better for one another no lots of people can do that But there are things about Jesus that will be able to help us distinguish an imitation from the real deal. I mean, one of the things that, as I said before, when we see Jesus for who he really is, we see ourselves for who we really are. And there's so much there that we can talk about. But in any case, so I want to help us today be able to spot a fake Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this passage of these four verses and we're going to kind of launch out from the passage and in the intent of the passage. And we're going to ask four questions that are going to help you spot the real deal from the imitation. And so that's why the title of the sermon is an invitation to the real deal. An invitation to the real Jesus and not a phony Jesus. Because I will tell you, I think, you know, I look around and this is my fifth time, I think, preaching here. So that's kind of cool to be invited back and then invited back again. So I haven't messed anything up yet. So we'll see how we do the rest of the day. But, but, but you know, Cornerstone Church, can I tell you, um, and I, I pastored a church, and we, uh, my wife and I and our family, we live in Litchfield Park, Arizona, so just kind of due south, um, where it's a lot hotter. Um, but, you know, and, and we had the pastor of church there for a long time. And, and, and one of the things that was always important to me was, yeah, we, we want to have spiritual leaders. We want to have, you know, and Scott's a fantastic pastor, good friend of mine. And, but, but we want to be able to understand some of these things on our own, Right. We want to be able to have our, our own capabilities to be able to filter these things out and understand and recognize and not just always be dependent on other people. So here are some ways that you can be able from this point on to on your own say, if, if the Jesus that's being presented to me passes these four questions, then yes, he's the real Jesus. Otherwise, he's, we've got a fake. So let's, let's talk about how to spot a fake Jesus, but especially from this passage. The first, the first um, fake Jesus candidate here is this one right here. And this is the first question. Is he 100% human? And so I've used to illustrate Jesus. This is a cartoon Jesus. You see that he looks like a man, but he's really just an illustration. He doesn't actually, this isn't a real human being. It's just an artist rendering. Now why that's significant is because this is kind of what John was dealing with. 
In fact, there was a belief going on at the time called docetism. And docetism was the idea that Jesus was God, he was divine, but he really wasn't an actual man. He wasn't a human being. He didn't have flesh and blood like we do. And they were kind of adamant about that. And part of the reason why, and you have to remember that whatever's kind of swimming in the water in society is going to eventually find its way into the church because the church is made up of people in society. So one of the things is whatever's going around in society right now, those, these things are kind of, kind of find their way into the church. And so there was a philosophy at the time called Gnosticism. And maybe you've heard it talked about before, but the idea, um, among other things, was, and it was kind of a Greek philosophy, was that the physical body is bad. And that the real you is not the physical body. Your body's almost like a can that's containing the real you. And the, 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 the way to enlightenment or the way to peace or the way to true joy is to somehow set yourself free from this, this body that is holding you back. And so there were kind of one, of one or two responses from that. One would be to deprive your physical body. So you'd, you'd deprive yourself of, you know, I'm not going to eat or people would abstain from sex and all that kind of stuff. Because whatever my body wants... I'm not going to give it because my body needs to be corrected because the appetites and things are wrong. And there's some parts of that that aren't so bad, but the idea was the flesh in and of itself is evil and it's not me. It's not really me. What's really me is what's inside. So they either go that route or they go the other route and they would indulge the flesh because they said, well, it's not me doing it. It's just my body. So it's not that big of a deal. But regardless, there was disdain for the physical and there was a separation of the physical. And so the idea that Jesus would be like one of us would have made him kind of a dirty person. So they didn't want to believe that. Rather, Jesus came to set us free and to liberate us from this bad, physical, evil world. And so it was causing a a, a problem because it was getting people away from the idea that Jesus was actually one of us. And we see this because I want to review for you. With that in mind, look, let's look now at the passage and see um, why John would be addressing this. Listen to, look at the language here. That which we have heard, we heard him speak. So he's not just a phantom. He's not just an illustration. He's not just an idea or or some kind of, you know, because they didn't know because this has been, you know, a little bit, decades or so after Jesus was, had actually been on the earth. So that which we have seen, we looked upon him. So it's almost like the same, like he's repeating himself. We saw him, we looked upon him, we touched him with our hands. He's a real person. He actually has flesh and blood. He's just like you and me. Concerning the word of life, that life was made, look at that word, manifest, made known, brought from an idea into real life. Just like you manifest, a man would manifest his love for a woman by buying her a ring. You know, and the idea of love is then presented in real life, right? And so this, and he's talking about, he was with the Father and made manifest to us. And, um, and then once again, we testify to proclaim, and he uses that word again. And then once again, that's which we have seen and heard. So he's using seen and heard and touched and manifest several times. So it makes the passage almost a little clunky. But he's coming out of the gate going, you guys, Jesus was a real, actual human being born of a woman just like us. And you say, well, why does that matter? Why why is that so important? Well, actually, it's incredibly important. If Jesus Christ was not 100% human, he's an imitation Jesus. He's not the real deal, if that's, if that's what a person believes. So there were several reasons why Jesus must be a human being. Number one, because he has to be our representative. 
If we didn't have, if we didn't have Jesus, he, wouldn't, he couldn't be, as a man, he couldn't be our actual true representative. So in other words, we have a human being who f- totally fulfilled God's expectations. He got an A+, plus, a 4.0, never made a mistake, fully lived out what God demanded of humanity. And that's significant because we know the, the, the very first man named Adam did not do that. And you and I, just like you might have your father's eyes or your father's nose or whatever else, you and I also inherited our father's sin nature. So the reason why you and I sin is because it's been passed down like a virus to us. We're still guilty of it. It's not like we can't claim we're not guilty of it, but it's been passed down to us. And so one of the most important verses that you got to have kind of lodged in your brain is Romans chapter 5 verse 18, because what he's saying is just as one man, Adam, his sin, his trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness, that's Jesus, leads to justification in life for all men. So one of the reasons that should be very comforting is because a lot of times you and I, even though we say we're Christians and we believe in Jesus, we wonder like, does God, I'm like, am I going to get to heaven and God's going to go, you know, you really mess things up. Or you look at a past sin that was really egregious, right? And you think, okay, I know Jesus died for my sins, but I mean, am I really, am I really forgiven for that? Am I, and you almost kind of go regress in your thinking. One of the things that can bring us great peace is knowing that when we put our faith in Christ, we're, we're not judged by our actions. We're judged by Jesus's actions. That's crazy when you think about that. But the reason you and I are declared holy is not because of all the great things. I was just talking yesterday to a guy who said, you know, he goes, when I stand before God, I think God's going to go, you know what? You may not have believed in me the whole time, but you try to do the right thing and you had a good heart. And I was like, man, and I was trying to get him to understand. I'm like, that's not, it's not about you, dude. It's not about you. And he just, it, it was so funny for a guy who claimed to be so humble. He was so narcissistic. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm smart. And I'm good. (laughs) Okay. That's fine for you. But actually, it's not fine. So we rest in the fact that Jesus is our representative. So... So he, 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 he was our representative, and that actually makes him a worthy sacrifice. Because if you would have had someone, if Jesus would have said, hey, God, hey, I, I, I want to die for all the sins of the world. And you're like, well, that's fine, but that's kind of a, you're, you're not a very good sacrifice. You're not a worthy sacrifice. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't meet the qualifications. This is why it also says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, therefore, speaking of Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be made like us in every way. But not only that, if if Jesus wasn't a human being, we really have no example to follow. You know, it's going to say, you're going to read about this in, in the next couple of weeks. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You, you and I have a pattern. So amazingly, if, when, when we say that Jesus was 100% man, he is actually, the, and we say, well, we, sometimes we don't, we're, we're confused. Like, well, I don't want to think of him as just a regular human being. No, he was the fully, he was the ultimate human being. No one has done a better job being human than Jesus. He fulfilled what it means to be a human being. Isn't that crazy? And that's what, me, that's what makes it, there's no one like Jesus. 
And if you lose that, you, you lose the fact that, that, that God never actually, yeah, he cared about us and he loved us, but he never actually wanted to become one of us. And that's the crazy part. Did you know that Jesus will never, ever stop being human? In Jesus, God has forever joined himself with humanity. I should blow you. What does that tell you about God? This is the kind of God who made the universe, who, who became one of us and will be one of us forever. Let that blow your mind. And sometimes I think we think our humanity, and yes, we're, we, are, we, we need a Savior, and yes, humanity is broken and it is sinful. But we're not beyond redemption and saving. And so if Jesus is not one of us, if he's not 100% man, then you know what you got? You got a fake Jesus. That's a fake. That's a phony. If he's not, if he wasn't made, so, so in your mind, remember, because sometimes I think we think, well, you know, was he really? Yes, he breathed air. He, he had blood in his veins. He lived on this planet just like us. This next question then is this. Is he 100% God? Now, this is another picture of Jesus, and, and I, I chose this one because, I mean, he looks more like an actual man. Like, that could have been like a, you know, male model standing there posing for this little illustration of Jesus. It's kind of like, they, they, they call this guy the 70s British Jesus, right? It's kind of what he looks like. So, is, is he actually God? Now, one of the clues that's important, and John says this out of the gate, is that word, word. Okay, so in the passage, oh, by the way, I should back up. So, um... I threw in the gospel of John 1 because, think about it. Now, John, it's a little confusing because the guy named John wrote the gospel of John. Then he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So not a lot of creative creativity when it comes to titles. But still, you have the gospel of John. Then you have the epistles, the letters of John. that are kind of like follow-ups to the gospel, right? That's what's going on. But what's interesting is when you look at the parallels. Because John 1, 1, out of the gate, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whoa, what does that mean? Well, the word word in the original uh, Greek language, has the idea of expression, right? It's expression. So it's, it's making something, kind of like we talked about before, it's manifesting something. So it's a really interesting concept. It was the word log, logos or logos. And, and it's a kind of very sophisticated philosophical concept that was in play at the time. But the idea was that, that there's God, God's expression of himself, the essence of who he is, all that he wants to communicate to us is found in the person of Jesus. And so you can't separate him. He was with God, but he is God. And so, you know, you can see it almost paralleling in John, in John 1, 1 and 1, 2, when it talks about the word was, the, the, concerning the word of life was made manifest. And once again, we testify to it and proclaim to it, which was, the, which was with the Father. So again, 1 John and John are paralleling each other out of the gate because he's trying to say we're not talking about a separate creature. We're talking about God himself. Now, why is it so important that Jesus not just be a good man, good teacher, but also be God? 
Well, there's several reasons. The first one is he said that he was God on numerous occasions. John 8, 58, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Which was code for, he was using an Old Testament saying that referred to God when he said, I am. And the reason we know that was because as soon as he said it, they picked up rocks and they wanted to kill him because you don't try to equate yourself with God. He just did. The second thing, another thing he said was, I and the Father are one. In John chapter 10, verse 30. Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. So you can sit there and say, well, Jesus wasn't really God. Well, he certainly thought he was. He really did. And, you know, the old saying then, what that makes him a little bit nuts if he wasn't God, right? So... Again, why is this so important? Well, first of all, because he said he was. But second of all, if Jesus is not God, then you and I don't have a Savior. Because if Jesus is, is, is just a man, there's no way, once again, he could adequately pay for the sins of the world. Because he's finite, right? So even if he had done everything right, he still wouldn't be the proper sacrifice. Because, and it'd be like a five-year-old child who, you know, hit a baseball into the windshield of a Lamborghini and shattered it. And that five-year-old child might be sorry and say, I really want to pay for this. I, I, I want to I make, make it right. And we would come along that, chi- say, that child and say, listen, I mean, I appreciate your sentiment, but you, you don't have the ability to pay for something like that. That's, you, you, you can't do it. You, know, you, you can't, we cannot, no one could pay for the, for the sins against a holy God. And we know this, if you want to get really kind of philosophical with it, um, we know this based on, on punishments fitting certain crimes. Like if you, if you hit, a, if you hit a, um, a, if you swat a fly and you kill a fly, no one cares. If you, if you shoot a dog, you might go to jail, right? If you shoot someone's dog. Um, if, you, if you kill another human being, you might you might get executed and, and go to the electric chair or whatever we use nowadays, the lethal injection or whatever it is. And you, that, but in each case, in each case, the offense is still the same. You've taken a life, but, the, but the, uh, the, that which has been offended is of a higher order. So the punishment goes up, right? Now you, now you have an offense against an infinite, holy, righteous God. How are you going to pay for that? You're not. You can't. No one can, except God himself. So we can say we can rest in the fact that, that, that God himself, and, and by the way, think about this, the love you have for your own child, the love you have here if you're a parent, the love you have for your own child. If you, if you saw your child drowning in a pool, and you're like, oh, my child is drowning in a pool, I should go in and save that child. But you know, it seems like it's really cold water, and I don't want to mess up my wool jacket. So I look at the person next to me, can you jump in and save my child for me? I just don't want to deal with it you'd go, man, you're a really terrible parent. Because every mother I know, including that one over there, I'd be like, they're in the pool. They're grabbing that child, right? But then we, but then we have this idea of God, here we are. We, we need rescue. We need, we need a savior. And God goes, well, I'll just make this person and send him. I don't know. That, that's not really a great God, if you ask me. We just, we want to give God our worship, but I don't know. How come I can conceive of a higher level of love than apparently the one that this God has shown me? Because it's not that great. Again, this individual I was speaking with yesterday, it was kind of a cool conversation. And, and I, I, I went that direction with him. I said, what about the love you have for your own child? And he goes, oh, I love, I love no matter what, no matter what, I'd be there for my child. I said, okay, but you can't conceive of a God that would be there for you. 
So you're putting yourself above God. So he's a bad father. So if we, if we look at Jesus and we see that, and we come up with a Jesus who may, might, might have been one of us, but he's not fully God, you got to fake Jesus, right? Now, the third thing we have is this. This is the third question. Did Jesus' sacrifice completely pay for my sins? Now, by, by the way, and I cited all these, by the way, so you, you know, there's links on here, so I didn't, I, I, I took them, but I cited, I got all these off the internet. This is like the bro Jesus right here. I mean, you know what I mean? He's kind of like, he's got the ink, you know, he's like got a good smile. He's a guy, you got to hang out with him, right? He's like, ah, this is, I like Jesus. Like, this is the kind of Jesus, it's like, he's God, and he's man, like he's, you know, you know like he's my buddy, but is what he did actually really affect him? You know what I mean? Can he really deliver the goods? And there's a lot of people that believe that Jesus became man and he's 100% God and he died on the cross, but you know, that didn't really do it. You're not really right with God until you do a few extra things. I mean, you got to get baptized. Because if you don't get baptized, well, come on. You got to take communion. You got to do this. You got to go to church a whole bunch of time. Now I'm all for going to church. But you have people, and I think this is where a lot of people get tripped up. Because they go, well, I mean, Jesus did his thing, but you got to do yours too. You got to pull your own weight. Because if you're not pulling your own weight, I mean, what do you think? God's just going to rescue you and not expect anything from you? Now, there's a certain sense of which, if I really believe my actions are going to correspond, if I actually believe that the light, red light means stop, I'm going to follow that up with my actions. If I believe that Jesus is God and he rescued me from my sins, that I'm going to live a life of gratitude and I'm going to live a life of obedience and discipleship. But all of a sudden it gets really tricky when we start to say, well, I need to do this. And we call that, and where I come from, we call it cross plus. It's the cross and the cross was good, but there's other stuff you got to tack on there. And I got to tell you, like when I've, over the years in my life, that's 90% of the people I talk to that get Jesus wrong is in that category. Like they go, oh, I know he's a real guy and yeah, he might be God, but, but I got I, I to do something. And you know what that does? That diminishes the work of Jesus on the cross. Because you go, it's really great that Jesus died on the cross, but, but isn't it great that I, I was lived a pretty moral life too. Like that kind of got me over the edge. No. No. Because in, in that case, who gets the glory? Well, you do. You get the glory. And God's up there going, oh, I'm so glad. I mean, I sent Jesus, and he, you know, he did the best he could, died in the crowd. I'm so glad you pulled together because I was really worried about you. Oh, I feel so much better. Really? What kind of God is that? I don't sing about a God like that. Let's think about a God. When, I'm, when, I, when I come to church and I come to this beautiful Yavapai Community College Art Center and I have these people that love, that, that, that they put all this work and time and effort and I sing these words, I'm singing out of a heart that knows that my, I, my life has been fully redeemed. My, Jesus has fully paid 100% for my sins. There's nothing more for me to do yet live in gratitude and joy for what's been done for me. Even down to faith, you know? Well, I've got to have enough faith. Well, yes, faith. We have faith, but sometimes our faith goes up and down. Isn't it great that it's not about our faith, it's about the object of our faith, right? So that's the, the, fourth, or the third thing. If you try to get me excited about a Jesus who went 90% of the way, that's just a, that's just, that's a fake, it's a phony. So did Jesus completely co cover my sins? So if you give me a Jesus that did, that's a real Jesus. If you didn't, 
Um, oh yeah, this is one of my favorite verses. I almost forgot. First Peter 2.24. He himself, along with you. Oh no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say along with you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By your wounds. No, no, no. By his wounds. By his wounds you've been healed. And my friends, I think we just got to have that just always in our, in our heads all the time. Stop beating yourself up thinking God's going to be impressed with your beating yourself up. You're only diminishing the work of Jesus when you continue to beat yourself up. Okay, so if you have that, you got a fake Jesus. Sorry, Mr. Bro Jesus, you're a fake Jesus. And then the last one. Oh yeah, this is the last one. Did he physically rise from the dead? Now this one I like because he's got glasses. This is the intellectual thing. Because people go, wow, there's no way that Jesus actually rose from the dead. I mean, let's just be reasonable here. You know, I mean, he was a real guy, but let's, we're getting off into some crazy things. Well, I don't have a whole lot of time left because I'm having so much fun with you guys, so I'll blast through this one pretty quick. But I'd say um, the problem is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then forgiveness for us is impossible, and we're the sorriest people on the planet for even believing that it is. And that's proven by 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, which says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Because what it basically meant, would mean is that, is that sin still kept Jesus in the grave. He still deserved it. And, and so the, the sacrifice meant nothing. He, couldn't, he didn't do it. It wasn't effective. So there, there's no, there was no reason to resurrect him. He was an imperfect, uh, improper, ineffective sacrifice. And so he wasn't rose from the dead. De- he couldn't beat death. And so sorry, we're, we're all hosed basically. Now I realize this is a little heavy, but without resurrection, I've got nothing. I've got no guarantee. But we know that 2 Peter 3.13, whoops, hang on, let me back up. I didn't put that in the thing. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, one of the reasons why it's so important that we have a resurrected body is that, is that, that Jesus rose from the dead is that he is the first fruits of this. He, what the Bible calls the first one, kind of like the first one out of the gate. And so we know we have a pattern to follow. Many of you probably heard that... Um, the very popular pastor, Tim Keller, from Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Been very influential, I'm sure, on your pastor and on many, many, many pastors. Um, just passed away this weekend of cancer at 72. And, and, and probably since maybe the death of Billy Graham, there has not been someone who's passed away in the evangelical circles that has had uh, as much of an impact in their death, let alone their life. And one of the things that Tim Keller said was um, as, as he was basically facing death, was he, and I'll paraphrase it because I'm trying to find the quote here. Um, oh no, I have it right here. Literally like the day before he died, he said this. He said, there is no downside to me leaving, not in the slightest. No downside to me leaving because I know where I'm going. I know why I'm going and I know what, I, what to expect. And see, you know, you don't face death, and, and people are blown away by the, the courage in which Tim Keller faced his own death, and basically saying that my death is going to mean infinitely better things for me. You don't get that by just wishing your way into that. You get that from a lifetime of studying the scriptures. You get that from a lifetime of patterning yourself after Jesus. You get that from a lifetime of thinking through the fact that not only did Jesus have to be man, have to be God, have to pay for my sins completely, but had to rise from the dead. And because he did, that means I will too. So give me a cancer diagnosis and tell me I have 24 hours to live. I'm good.
So, if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, or that he, had, or that he didn't rise from the dead, you've got to fake Jesus. All right. <clears throat> so, what do we do with all this? Well, there's a couple next steps. And this is what I want to just run through with you real quick. Oh, hang on, back up. I don't know where my next steps are. Um, but you can, see them on the, you can see them on the sheet. So I want to challenge you to look at these questions and ask yourself, which one do I struggle with? Which one do I have the most problem with that believing or trusting in or wrapping my arms around or my head around? And then the second thing is this. Um, how can answering these questions bring me peace and joy in my life? You know what I mean? Like, what does it really mean to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Like, what are the implications of that? What are the implications of believing that Jesus paid for my sins fully and completely? It's so funny, this guy, again, this guy I, t- I just literally talked to yesterday. I was sharing with him the gospel, and he looks at me, and he's a very, very smart man. Scientist. I'm a scientist. He told me that like a hundred times. He was. He is. And he looks at me, and he goes, I want so badly to believe what you believe. And I said, why? Why do you want to believe it? What is it about what I'm telling you that makes you want to believe this so bad? And then why can't you believe? And he just kept, he just kept, he just kept hedging, just kept hedging. He wanted to believe it because it sounded so good. It touched him. But he had all of this stuff he put up. I want to close with this quote from Pilgrim's Progress. I never read Pilgrim's Progress until like, like eight years ago. And I was like, I should have read this when I was a kid. Um, oops. Yep. Okay, this quote right here. You already saw part of it. This is what he talks about when um, he's uh, the main character Christian who's on this, like, he's on this pilgrimage to, to get to heaven. And he talks about Jesus and he says, Someday there I hope to see him alive that did hang dead on the cross. And there I hope to be rid of all those things that to this day are in me an annoyance to me. There they say there is no death. And there I shall dwell with such company as I like best. For to tell you the truth, I love him because I was by him eased of my burden. And I am weary of my inward sickness. I be fain where I shall die no more. And with the company that shall continue to continually cry, holy, holy, holy. You get Jesus right, that's your future. Because of Jesus and the real Jesus, that's your future. And that's what John is trying to say, and that's why there's joy. There's joy, there's joy, there's joy. Only joy to get Jesus right. Let's pray together. God, thank you for these men and women that are here. Thank you for First John, the journey that, the invitation to the journey that's going to be taken here at this church. God, there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like the one that you sent. God, you're a mystery. And yet you've revealed yourself in so many ways. I pray for anyone here today who has gotten you wrong. Who's just missed you. Because they were brought up in something. I just didn't understand something. Right there where they are, they might say, you know what? I see the real Jesus and I want him. I want to place my faith in him. I need my sins forgiven fully and completely. I recognize I cannot do that on my own. Who am I kidding? Today I want to follow that kind of Jesus. 
God, if, you, if this is who you are, if this is the kind of God you really are, you don't send someone else to do your dirty work. You do it yourself. And you stood in my place. And you carried my sin. And you give me your righteousness. If that's the kind of thing you're telling me, I want it. If that's you, just tell them that. Tell them that. From, just from the depths of your heart. For the rest of us, you know, you, maybe you've been coming here for a while, and, but who Jesus is just kind of become mundane to you because you've forgotten those four questions. You've forgotten to think about the ramifications of those four questions. God, would you restore us to see you clearly? That which we have seen, which we have touched, which we have heard concerning the word of life. All that we need made manifest to us. And may our joy be complete in that we share a common love and conviction for the real deal. And we give you all these things, all of our hearts, all of our joy, all of our struggles, all of our our soul we give to you, knowing that you've got it. You love us in Jesus' name. Amen.